Travel to the heart of America and you'll find a conference rich in pageantry, passion, and poise. The Big 12, a name bigger than their size, boasted some of the nation's best offenses, the Heisman Trophy winner, some of the most sought-after coaches, and perhaps the most exciting conference games in college football last year. But that was then. What does the Conference of the Heartland have to bring in 2019? Sam Ellinger says, We're back! But for Texas to compete for college football's glory, they'll need to beef up the run game and rebuild that defense, especially in time to stop the potent offenses of the schools in Oklahoma. Speaking of Oklahoma, Lincoln Riley has produced back-to-back -back Heisman quarterbacks from back-to-back -back transfers, and now he gets yet another who hopes to keep putting the hurts on Sooner opponents. In Stillwater, the offense will rely on Chuba Hubbard and Tylon Smoochie Wallace to kiss the hardware in Dallas, but their front four on D will need to be at the forefront if the Cowboys want to poke at the top two. Things were pretty good in Ames, but Matt Campbell has made them mm-mm better. And Iowa State fans hope they can be just that this year as expectations are for the third-year coach to win the Cyclones' first ever Big 12 championship. TCU can always play D, but the O needs a QB, and they've got four to choose from. If someone can stabilize and get the ball to Rager and Barber, Frog fans will TCU in Dallas. At Baylor, it's time for Coach Matt to rule in Waco. And with a brewer of yards and points at quarterback, the green and gold will need to have a bear of a defense to claw their way to the top. There's a new sheriff in Lubbock, Texas, and all's well with new coach Matt Wells. And though it may take some time to bring his group of five success to the power five, perhaps he can crack the top five of the Big 12. Neil Brown left sweet home Alabama to come home to that country road in the Alleghenies and keep the Mountaineers in the thick of a conference race. With their roster and culture changing in Morgantown, what can NB do in WV? Kansas seemed miles away from a competitive football team, but Jayhawk fans are hoping less miles can close the gap and resurrect this program to bowl and even conference contention. Kansas State is without their family man, Bill Snyder, but they bring in a good stepdad in Chris Kleiman. K-State fans wonder how soon he can get his kids to play at a championship level. Will he be able to combine the toughness of the bison with the finesse of the Wildcats? Only time will tell. But we're glad you've made time to spend with us. So grab a bowl full of chips. It's 2019 Big 12 preview time, and it starts now. Bom bom bits, a bowl full of chips. Bom bom bits, we're champion pip. Bom bom bits, two young brothers. Bom bom bits, talking college football. Bom bom bits, and life and humor. And some funny ass clips. So relax and unwind with a bowl full of chips. Hey, college football fans. Well, here we are. We are here, so grab a seat and grab a beer. Well, unless you're driving, of course. Uh, but let us offer you a delicious bowl full of chips. This is episode 47, almost halfway to 100. And we've only been doing this since late December, Bip. We've covered every conference in the country, and with each and every episode, we've worked to deliver you a little more in-depth coverage and insight than the other CFB podcasts out there. Because here at BFC, with pride, we bring football closer. I am your leadoff man, Chappie, and joining me, of course, is our cleanup hitter, Bip. Bip, it's baseball's trade deadline today on July 31st, and I feel like it has nothing 
on the free agency that has taken place in college football this offseason. Am I right? Well, yeah, because usually with baseball, you kind of know who's going to be involved. With this transfer portal, it seems to be on a day-by-day basis, uh, like Christmas morning, unless there's someone transferring from your team, because you don't know what's going to happen on Twitter, on uh, you know the national media sites in regards to who you're going to see in there. I mean, we've already seen guys like Brew McCoy um, commit, transfer, transfer again and or or um why don't you tell us about a guy who who seemed like he was transferring out of alabama recommitted to the crimson tide and seems like he's going to be transferring once again chappy yeah so the former number one recruit by by most sources and a five-star ayabi anoma we talked about him back i think in february he put his name in the in the portal and we thought well you know, here's a here's a stud from Bama who's going to leave, and he was in there for about a month or so, and then he pulled himself back out, went back to Alabama, participated, uh, as I recall, in every spring drill and the the whole nine yards, and then just recently, as of last week, Anoma has put himself back in the transfer market, and being from Maryland, most speculation is suggesting that he's probably going to go with Mike Loxley and become a Terp. Although I still don't know all the rules and the ins and outs of this in terms of, you know, I would assume that if he transfers anywhere now, he's not going to be eligible. Uh, he's, he's probably not going to get that waiver to, to be able to play right away uh, this upcoming year. But, you know, you talk about if he does go to Maryland, Bip, and again, this is all speculation. There's been no needle pointing anyway, mm-hmm. one way or the other, but you look at the linebackers that they'll have brought in. Keandre Jones from Ohio State, who was a four, maybe even five-star by some accounts. Shaq Smith, who was going to be a starter at the national champion Clemson Tigers this year. And then now possibly Aobi and Anoma. All three of those guys, I believe, would be back next year. So you talk about three starting linebackers for a fledgling Big Ten team in the Big Ten East, the vaunted Big Ten East um, I mean that's that's a pretty dangerous trio there. So, you know, yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see what uh, the NCAA's Magic Eight Ball says when they shake that thing up to make <laughs> their decision this time around. Right, exactly. Well, and the biggest difference between Major League Baseball's trade deadline and the transfer portal is that word deadline. I mean, July thirty first <laughs> is essentially the cutoff date, and players and teams know that they've got to make decisions by this day at midnight. Whereas the transfer portal, I still don't believe that there's any sort of finite date to where you can stop or you can't be in the market. And that's one of the first things that the NCAA said that they're going to do in the offseason is take a look at college football transfers, the rules. And so I hope and pray to the, the God that I believe in that there will be some sort of time frame and some sort of window to say this is when you can be in this is when you can be out and you know maybe go as far as to say coaches and players alike can't make any contact in a in a certain block of time outside of this you know quote-unquote window where you know teams can really just focus on their program and their squad for the upcoming season and not have to worry about, well, is this guy going to leave? Is this guy going to become on, come on the market? And do we have to start moving and shifting around scholarships because we want this five-star who's putting himself in the market? So do we get rid of this three-star? Do we get rid of this guy that we promised his family all these great things and all this you know wonderful promise of a future just to have the chance at maybe getting this guy who's on the market now, but might pull himself back out in a month. So, Yeah, and it's a rare occurrence in baseball to where a guy may be traded in the same day um, 
to go to the opponent and essentially walk across the field to the opponent's clubhouse. But I think that day may be looming for college football, Chappie, that we see on college game day (laughs) with the way this thing's trending and and where it's headed. If the NCAA doesn't put their foot down soon, perhaps maybe we see an interconference transfer throughout the season. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, that's not a day I want to be a part of, but exactly. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll chug on as though things are going to be heading in the right direction here. Bip. So yes. Well, like our good friend Jeffrey the Greek said on Twitter today, today is the last day of the last month without college football until February. So that's right. When we wake up tomorrow, it'll be August 1st, and that will be the official month of college football starting. Now, in 24 days, the season officially begins with two games featuring the Pac-12, Mountain West, ACC, and SEC. And 30 days from now, the Big 12 kicks off in prime time when Oklahoma State travels to Corvallis to play the Oregon State Beavers. So I suppose, Bip, we should probably break down this conference from the heartland of America. What do you think? Yes, sir. All right. Well, we're going to get to it. Today is Big 12 Preview Edition on Bowl Full of Chips. So thanks again for joining us. Bowl Full of Chips, we are the college football podcast that goes at the pace of a Mike Gundy offense and goes as deep as the Oklahoma Sooner receivers. And we always promise to be much more decisive and certain than Brew McCoy. (laughs) <laughs> please give us a follow on twitter i am at champion underscore lit and i am at bfc bip if you already check in with us share our handle with others like our post retweet and even dm us with some questions or commentary college football talk has no off season you can also visit our show's twitter page on at bowl of chips where we post our website for a growing number of resources and bits of information which includes our lists our rankings within conference out of conference our upcoming previews and yes an easy domain name is still in the works so hopefully that's coming in the in the in the short months ahead you can also find links to our previous podcasts on our website and contact us at bowlfulofchips at gmail.com so big 12 2019 what bip and i are going to do is we are going to give you the 10 not 12 teams of the big 12 conference and we'll go from top to bottom bip and i'll kind of ping pong back and forth as we have with our sec and big 10 previews bip will start off and tell us who he thinks is going to finish at the top of the big 12 and then i'll go and we'll go all the way down and cover every team from this great conference ranging from the lone star state to the panhandle of oklahoma out to kansas west virginia and so forth so bip as you look at the big 12 in 2019 who is sitting at the top of that conference standing come november when they are facing off against the number two team in dallas bip who's number one for you well chappie i'm, I'm just gonna say boomer sooner and i and i think it's the obvious choice but i think it's the only choice the oklahoma sooners i obvious have coming reason, out i think yep i have them coming away with this one um i have them going 12 and one on the season eight and one in conference winning the big 12 championship game um and it all starts with the guy uh, in the uh, the head seat there, Lincoln Riley. Um, yep. Now, I haven't been as crazy about Jalen Hurts as a lot of the national media are. But when I look at his stats in comparison to those of Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray, uh, before they began being coached by Lincoln Riley, Hurts comes out ahead in just about everything, especially yards per attempt. Now, Hurts had more talent around him than both Mayfield and Murray did. Um, and... 
didn't have a full, and Murray didn't really have a full season under his belt before he exploded last year. But uh, Baker Mayfield's yards per attempt jumped from 6.8 to 9.4, and Kyler Murray's jumped from 5.7 to 11.6. So, again, not exactly apples to apples, but you see what Lincoln Riley can do to quarterbacks when they come into town. Uh, Mayfield's uh, touchdown-interception ratio went from 9 um Nine touchdowns and twelve interceptions to thirty-six and seven in his uh, first season under Riley. While Murray went from <laughs> yeah a little bit. While Kyler Murray went from five touchdowns, seven interceptions to forty-two touchdowns and just seven interceptions. So uh, Mayfield and Murray each had a whole year to digest the playbook um, while sitting out their transfer year. But Hertz comes in and only had this spring. Um, I think Hertz is obviously the most experienced and productive passer that uh, Lincoln Riley's ever had. But that said, I think he's arguably the least talented of the of the three quarterbacks. Um, in his last season as a starter, Hertz completed just over sixty percent of his passes for over two thousand yards, with a really respectable seventeen to one touchdown interception ratio. And last year, he completed um, almost seventy three percent of his passes, but. Hertz also comes in with over 1,900 career rushing yards, 23 touchdowns. So while he's not as dynamic as Murray, his 5.2 yards per carry over his career dwarfs that of Baker Mayfield's 2.7. So how quickly he takes to this offense will be key for the Sooners this year. And I put my trust in Lincoln Riley more than I do in Jalen Hurts. I don't have him on the Heisman watch list by any means, but I think that Riley does enough. And I think he's got plenty of talent to work with to make this um, uh, Oklahoma Sooner offense Hum just as well as what Mayfield and Murray may have did, but just a notch below. Um, I think what maybe hurts the Sooners more than anything this year are the departures on the uh, offensive line. They lose four starters from last year's Joe Moore Award-winning offensive line, but we've kind of seen that Oklahoma's become a little bit of an offensive line factory as they've produced uh, seven NFL draft picks in the past the past four years from their offensive lines. Yeah. Additionally, they lose the most dangerous deep threat in the country in Hollywood Brown. So they return CeeDee Lamb, Lee Morris, Grant Calcaterra, as well as having brought in maybe the best group of pass catchers of any recruiting class in recent history as they get three five-star receivers in Jaden Hazelwood, Theo Wees, and Trajan Bridges and one of the top t- tight ends in the country in Austin Stogner. So they're kind of reloading in the skill positions, uh, but I still have uh, a couple questions on the offensive line. Where I really think that the Sooners are going to be impressive this year is at running back, because they have the best one-two punch in the conference in Kennedy Brooks and Trey Sermon. Each rushed for over 900 yards last year and had at least 12 rushing touchdowns, and Brooks was a freshman who averaged 8.9 yards per carry. I think he really takes off this year. Um This offense was first in points per game, first in yards per game, the most efficient offense in the country last year, and first in points scored um, per drive inside their opponent's 40-yard line. I think they take a minor step back this year with the change at quarterback and the losses on offensive line, but I think they'll be in the top five in most major offensive categories again. Where a lot of people are keeping their eyes on is on that defense. So they finished 119th in defensive efficiency last year, 109th in yards per game, 97th in points per game, and 129th in passing yards per game. They do return a lot on this defense, including all five defensive backs and all starting defensive linemen. So you say those numbers that come back from last year, uh, everyone that they have returning, is this more of the same of last year? Because they have a lot of the same Uh, starters as they did last year, but I think that year of experience helps. Bringing in Alex Grinch also helps a lot for them. 
Uh, I think Ronnie Perkins is going to have a big year being the premier pass rusher who's looking to build off of that strong freshman year that he had last year. And I really like Neville Gallimore in the middle, too, as a guy who can get upfield and disrupt in the backfield, as well as kind of being the guy who can clog space. Um, Trey Brown, Parnell Motley return as the part as part of the, the worst pasty in the country, but, um, Brown had 12 passes defended last year. Motley had 11, um, and Motley also added three picks and finished third on the team in tackle. So I think there's some, there's some definitely some talent in the, in the secondary there. They lose Curtis Bolton and has 142 tackles, but they do return Kenneth, uh, Murray, who led the Sooners with 155 tackles, 12 and a half for loss, four and a half sacks last year, and really sets the tone in the middle of that defense. I think that he's going to be on the watch list for all American, uh, this year. And I think he's going to be the heart and soul of that defense. So I think, uh, all in all, I've learned not to bet against Lincoln Riley in the Big 12, and I think the Sooners get it done again this year, Chappie. You bastard. You stole like all of my notes and my thoughts, <laughs> uh, especially on the defensive side. So, yeah, just real quick. I mean, Lincoln Riley, I, I, I agree 100% with you. If, if anybody doubts this guy being able to score points and put Oklahoma in the national championship talk, they're crazy. They're insane by by nature. So, yeah, uh, I mean, in his four years working the offense, his offenses have improved their points per game every year. And they, I mean, look at these numbers, 43 and a half, 43.9, 45.1, and last year, 48.4 points per game. Bip, they're scoring almost 50 a game under Lincoln Riley. So I don't yeah. care what how bad your defense is, and their their defense statistically was not very good last year, but they were clearly in the hunt, and they made the college football playoff, and rightfully so, because of the fact that this guy knows how to score points, and if you can score points, you can play with really any defense out there. So mm -hmm. uh, they have a great head coach slash offensive coordinator, a very good quarterback, uh, and and made better because of the system that he's now in. They have a great and deep group of running backs, and you know, you mentioned Sermon and Brooks, or Brooks and Sermon, I should say. T.J. Pledger, their number three, averaged six yards per carry on 30, 30 rushes last year. So, I mean, that's not too bad, you know, busting off that many per pop as well. Um, the wide receivers, I think, are as deep as any group in the country, maybe the deepest in terms of talent. And their mm -hmm. offensive line is still going to be okay. They're not going to be nearly as good as last year, obviously, but they they do get two transfers in R.J. Proctor from Virginia and Bryce Roberts, who comes over from New Mexico State. Both guys started every game at their uh, respective team last year. And, I mean, you look down at, at the guys that they're uh, putting in, like Tyrese Robinson, Adrian Ely. These are guys, Eric Swenson, guys who are in the top uh, 30 in terms of offensive line recruits in the country. So it's not like it's a bare cupboard and a bunch yeah. of scrubs that they're just, you know, pigeonholing in there. These are guys who who do have some talent. It's going to take them a little bit of time to mesh. And unfortunately for them, their non-conference schedule is is not one of the easiest. They start with Houston out in Houston um, in a quote-unquote neutral site. And then they have to play at UCLA in week three. Both wins, I think, for the Sooners. But still, this is going to be um, you know, kind of a, a trial by fire for this offensive line. And I think it's going to be a good thing for OU because, you know, playing against teams that are respectable, maybe even contenders within their own divisions of, of their respective conferences is going to make this offensive line uh, become sharpened uh, pretty quickly. Um, you know, 51% returning on offense in terms of offensive production. 
I'm not sold on Jalen Hurts being a Heisman finalist like you said, Bit, but because of what Lincoln Riley has done with his quarterbacks, he's going to be good. Uh, we've said that about other players and coaches uh, to believe it when we see it. So I guess given Lincoln Riley's track record, I'll believe that Hurts is not talented when I don't see it. So, I mean, he's he's clearly a guy who is a smart quarterback. He's a quarterback who really doesn't make mistakes. I believe, I'll have to go back and look, but I believe his passing percentage, even though it was a smaller sample size, was actually better than Tua Tungavailoa last year, which is really saying something because Tua mm-hmm. was one of the most efficient quarterbacks in college football. Defensively, 81% returning production. And again, I know it was a bad defense last year, but I really believe that Alex Grinch is going to make a big deal of difference. And you know so because after the spring, he was really talking down his defense and saying, we got a lot of work to do. And that's really not the norm from most coaches, both on both sides of the ball. You kind of hear that, oh, well, our guys showed a lot of promise. We were a lot better than where we were last year. And that's kind of just the typical coach speak. But Grinch was, you know, nose to the grindstone. And and I think that he kind of took last year's subpar performance at Ohio State when he wasn't really the guy. I think he took it personal. And I think he's going to carry that over into Oklahoma. And all he's been hearing is how bad Oklahoma's defense is. And I think he's taking that personal as well, Bip even though he had no part in that. So, right. um, you know, Kenneth Murray, I, I agree, is going to be an All-American type linebacker. Some think he's great. Some think he's overrated, despite making 155 tackles last year. I don't care who you are. That's a lot of stops that you've got to make. Yep. And when you're going against Division One college athletes, primetime running backs, receivers, if you can make 155 tackles, regardless of how good or not good your defense is around you, that's saying something. Um, I agree that Ronnie Perkins is going to have an All-American type year. He was on my list of potential Big 12 defensive players of the year. Uh, the guy, I think, is just going to be a force at defensive end, 6'3", 253 pounds, and he's just lightning quick coming off the edge. I think he's going to be a nightmare for offensive tackles to deal with. Um, look out for one of their safeties having a big year as well. As Alex Grinch himself has worked very well with safeties in his defenses. That's his position specialty. So guys like uh, Delarin Turner-Yell, Robert Barnes, maybe even Patrick Fields. And and going back to their corners bit, Trey Brown, Trey Norwood are listed as the starters going into fall camp. And I think, honestly, that Parnell Motley, who you mentioned, is one of their better defensive backs. I mean, he was second on the team with 11 pass breakups last year. He was first on the team with three interceptions, as you talked about, and third on the team in tackles. So if he does not get one of those starting jobs, and, and obviously he's probably going to play as a nickelback, type player but um or a you know a nickel corner player but uh if if there's two guys who are better than him then i think that speaks to just how much talent this team does have and i think that grich is the right guy to, to put that talent in the right places so i have them as well at number one i have them at number one in the big 12 i should say don't get too excited sooner fans um i have them going 12 and one eight and one in the conference uh the 12th one being in uh you know or playing in the conference championship and I have their lone loss this year coming November 16th at Baylor because they have to play in consecutive weekends, home against Iowa State, at Baylor, home against TCU. I think that that – and then they have to play the Bedlam game in the finale at Oklahoma State. So that's a, a really tough four-game stretch. I don't see the Sooners getting out with uh, all four wins, especially if they're undefeated going into that four-game stretch after a bye. I think Iowa State's going to take – them to the to the wire and i just see that baylor out in their new stadium uh, andrew brewer i just I, I or i'm sorry uh 
uh, Michael Brewer, I just or Charlie Brewer, I should say. I'll get it right. I just think <laughs> that that's going to be too much. But yeah, OU twelve and one, and and I really don't see that much uh, of a of a closeness between them and the number two team. So I have right. number one as well. And, and I agree with you that that last four game, those last four games of the season that they have is a brutal stretch. And my one loss that I have them uh, having is the Bedlam game at Oklahoma State. Okay. Uh, to, to round out the end of the season rivalry game, I think Oklahoma State's going to be much improved, which we'll get into in just a little bit. But yeah, after playing uh, Iowa State, Baylor, and TCU, I think that takes a toll on the Sooners. Um, and I think that they go into the Big 12 championship game with a one game losing streak um, headed into that one. Yeah. And, and I, I could easily see them. You know, I, I talked about Alabama going undefeated and losing in their rivalry game on the road at Auburn. I think that mm-hmm. this could be a very similar situation where you've got Oklahoma, whether they're number two, whether they're number one, depending on how the rest of the landscape looks, could easily lose that game, you know, the Bedlam game. And maybe that's the motivation when they come back two weeks later and play in the Big 12 championship. It vaults them into this supreme looking team and maybe that's going to help them, you know. So right. I think that. The worst thing for Oklahoma would be they finish the season undefeated because I think that the pressure mounts. I think that it be it, it behooves them to uh, to lose a game in that four game stretch. While it doesn't hurt their Big Twelve standing, they play in the Big Twelve championship. They get that dose of reality mm-hmm. and they go into a potential postseason already having licked their wounds and and recovered from them and making them a, a more dangerous team going into the Final Four. Sure. Well, Chappie, so, that uh, that that does it for number one for the two of us. Do you have the Big Twelve repeating last year's results, or who do you have with your number two? Well, as a college football enthusiast, sadly, yes, I'm I'm picking the a rematch of last year's Big Twelve championship. Not because I mean the traditionalist in me says, hell yeah, I want to see OU and Texas play uh, twice in a season, but. Um, you know, I, I am a fan of parody and I, and I would like to see somebody else be at that number two spot, but I just don't see it aside from the Texas Longhorns. I see them going 10 and three, eight and one, their lone loss in conference play in the regular season coming to the, the Oklahoma Sooners. Now, Texas, Sam Ellinger to me made a dangerous statement last year. And I've talked about it before by saying we're back. My question is, are you, are you really back? Because yeah. there's, there's a lot of questions that I have for mm-hmm. Texas. So first of all, they don't have a lot of produ- production returning from last year's team. Uh, they only return 38 lettermen from last year's squad, which is not a big number. They have 16 on offense, 19 on defense, three specialists. Uh, and again, that's just returning lettermen. So offensively, yes, Sam Ellinger. And, and I was listening to Barton Simmons on their podcast and he made a good point. He said, if you could choose one quarterback to quarterback your team to get one win, to, to, to play in a big game, Sam Ellinger is probably my choice because of the fact that he's, he's gritty. Um, he will lay his body out to, to get the yardage, to get the win. And we saw that last year. But throughout the course of a season, that's talking one game, throughout the course of a season, I think that could be dangerous for Texas, and it could be dangerous for Ellinger. So if he goes down... I know that there was a lot of positive talk about Casey Thompson in the spring this year as being a, a, a dual threat type quarterback, a guy who's really good with his feet and also has a really good arm, but he has zero experience. So I think Texas fans and Texas supporters are putting a lot of eggs in Ellinger's basket. And I don't know if that's a good thing right now, especially considering that they're rebuilding on the offensive line. They don't have a proven run game yet. Keontae Ingram, I think can be a good running back, but 
again, you're putting a lot of eggs in that offensive basket. I think things would have been a lot better had Brew McCoy stayed because he was there for the whole spring. It looked like he was going to be a starter and a great compliment to Colin Johnson and Devin Duvernay. But now with him gone, they seem just a little bit thinner at that wide receiver spot. So they're pretty good at scoring. They were 45th in scoring offense last year and extending drives. So they were the 18th best in third down conversions on offense. Uh, and I think a large part of that was due to Sam Ellinger. So again, you take him out of the equation and what does that offensive look like? Um, they were 91st in rush offense last year though. And that was with a pretty good offensive line. Um, I, you know, we talked about Ingram coming back and Jordan Whittington is more of that slash type player at running back. He's an incoming freshman, but they were 72nd in yards per play, which means that they're not very explosive on offense, or at least they weren't last year. And again, that was with both Colin Johnson and little Jordan Humphrey. So you take Humphrey out of the equation and you take McCoy out of the equation. They don't really have that explosive home run hitting running back just yet that we've seen. Offensive line was pretty good. They had the 37th fewest tackles for loss allowed. And they were Texas was the 34th best pass efficiency offense, which means that they made the most when they put the ball in the air. But again, a lot of that was on Sam Ellinger. Defensively, um, they were pretty good up front. They were 28th best against the run last year. They were 56th in the country in sacks and 50th in yards per play given up. So they didn't really give up a lot of home run type plays. They were 17th in red zone defense, which was awesome. Anytime you can be in that top 20 on the defensive side, that's saying something because we know that the offenses in the Big 12 are explosive and they work their way down the field. So it really comes down to how do you play inside the 20? And Texas was pretty good. Texas, unfortunately, only brings back three true starters from last year's defensive squad. And that's the big question mark I have for the Longhorns is what are they going to look like defensively, especially in their front seven? So they're pretty much replacing everyone on the defensive line and at linebacker. And some of the hope or the help that they were hoping to have at linebacker has not really panned out. They've had injuries. They've had guys, um, you know, leave the program. So a pretty good secondary led by Caden Stearns and Brandon Jones. They're two all-conference safeties. And then Anthony Cook, I think, is going to be a, a good one to watch at corner. Uh, Dejon Jameson is moving over, or Deshaun Jameson, I should say, is moving over from wide receiver. He's one of the best, best athletes on the team, and I think that he could be a, a uh, a breakout player this year on the defensive side. But again, when you have some questions on the front seven, that's going to put a lot more pressure and stress on the, on the back half of that defense. And I'm not sold that they're going to be that shutdown defense that they need to be. So, you know, Texas is a good team. Are they back? I, I don't agree with that statement. And I think that they might not even be the second best team in the conference when all of a sudden done. I think that there's going to be a lot of, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be razor thin between teams two through four in the Big 12 this year. So I have Texas at number two uh, with a uh, eight and one record in conference. Um, I have them losing to Oklahoma in conference and I have them losing out of conference for their second loss of the year against LSU on September 7th. And that's a game I can't wait to tune into a bit because I think the winner of that game is going to propel themselves almost right into the college football playoff if they get everything done uh, elsewhere. So 10-2, and 8-1, and one, number 2 in the Big 12. Funny you should say that you don't think that they're the second-best team in the conference by the end of the season, mm. potentially, uh, because I have the Texas Longhorns coming in at number 3. I have them going 9-3 and three overall, losing to LSU out of conference, losing to Oklahoma in conference, and losing to Iowa State. 
uh, on November 16th to finish seven and two in the conference, finishing them third. So, uh, like you, I think that Sam Ellinger is one of the most valuable pieces to any team in the country this year, regardless of position. Um, he operates more like a triple option quarterback than a Big 12 quarterback, as he combined for 41 touchdowns last year while passing for over 3,200 yards and throwing only five picks. Also completed 64% of his passes, but his physical play of style uh, or physical style of play is really like. A- unlike any other quarterback in the country that doesn't run a triple option, but that, like you mentioned, that opens him up for the potential of injury. Now he did have to leave two games last year due to injury. Um, and Texas did lose uh, Shane Bouchelle and Cameron rising to transfer. So mm-hmm. similarly, I don't really trust Casey Thompson to come in and take over, um, you know, the, the remainder of the games potentially, or worst case scenario, if he's out to start any games, what does that do for the Longhorns? But uh, in addition to that, losing three offensive linemen uh, coming into li- from last year uh, doesn't help, although they do get two-time All-ACC guard Parker Braun coming in from Georgia Tech, so that should be um, something that they could work around. Uh, he needs a little work on his pass protection, obviously, coming from a triple option. But if he can get that figured out before fall, that could be a huge get for the Longhorns. Um, losing Lil Jordan uh, Humphrey also hurts, but I like the duo of Colin Johnson and Devin Duvernay. And the Longhorns are really kind of, uh, they recruited the position well in recent years, even though they obviously lost out on Brew McCoy. Um, recently, but, uh, at running back, Keontae Ingram, uh, rushed for 700 yards at five yards per carry. And I think he pairs, pairs up nicely with what Jordan Winningham could become, uh, if he lives up to the potential that he's shown coming out of high school. Um, so I think that this offense should be pretty good this year, but it all lives and dies with Ellinger. Uh, but more so than anything for me, the defense is what worries me as Texas loses nine starters and could start upwards of seven underclassmen this year on the defensive line. I like Malcolm Roach. Uh, He's got 11 career starts, but he's kind of moved back and forth between the defensive line and linebacker positions as that rush end. Uh, But he's got, uh, 13 and a half career tackles for loss. And Keandre uh, Coburn, a, a Richard freshman, is a massive nose tackle that was highly recruited um, and highly touted coming out uh, last year. So he could be that big space eater in the middle that the Longhorns could benefit from. At linebacker, they have lots of highly touted recruits, but they don't have a whole lot of production. So this unit has potential, but looks to be their weakest point going into the season. I'm really curious as to how the secondary plays out as they return the only two starters on this defense and look to be the strongest part of that Longhorn defense. But again, with all the attrition, um, it's kind of the the best of the worst um, as far as Texas is concerned. I like the, the safety combo of Brandon Jones and Caden Stearns, and I think that that makes up the best safety duo in the conference. But a lot of question marks at cornerback as uh, Texas has recruited as well as any team in the country the past two or three years at uh, defensive back, and they do return five of their top DBs. So I think the secondary could be one of the best in the Big 12 for the next couple years, but this year it's still a question mark to me going in. So um, Texas, to me, is kind of the darling pick of many, not only to win the Big 12, but also to make the playoffs. I think they lose too much on defense. I don't like the physical nature of uh, Ellinger uh, without much behind him in regards to a reliable backup. And I think that Texas challenges for the Big 12 title, but falls just short 
again, losing to Oklahoma and Iowa State in conference. So let's segue then into your number two team. So you mentioned, I think it's one of those teams that Texas will lose to, Bip. So who's finishing behind the Sooners and in front of the Longhorns, according to you in the Big 12 this year? Well, I am going to go with the Iowa State Cyclones. I think Matt Campbell continues to improve this team. And I have the Cyclones finishing 10-2, and 7-2 and two in conference, but with that tiebreaker winning over Texas. So I actually have um, the Cyclones losing a shocker at Texas Tech um, on October 19th. And yeah. then I also have them losing at Texas coming out of their, or, or I'm sorry, at Oklahoma coming out of their bye. But right. seeing as how Texas is the week after, kind of going with your theory of they get the loss out of the way against Oklahoma, they regroup, figure out what happened, and they come and they they bring a, a very loud and vibrant uh, crowd against the Longhorns when Texas visits um, on November 16th to get that win. So Breaking down the uh, the Cyclones, they they lose two of the best offensive players from the Big 12 last year in David Montgomery and Akeem Butler. But fortunately for the Cyclones, they do return quarterback Brock Purdy, who completed over 66% of his passes last year, threw for uh, 2,200 yards and combined for 21 touchdowns. Um, they also recruited really well at running back, and their top two in- incoming freshmen are running backs. Um, so they're going to need one of them to step up, obviously. And, um, their returning running backs only combined for 226 yards and one touchdown and neither average more than four yards per carry. So obviously the running back position is going to be their biggest question mark going into the season. Um, but the Cyclones might seamless or might seem to be, uh, relatively thin at wide receiver, but Tariq Miller was second on the team with 417 receiving yards as a true freshman. They also return second team, all big 12, uh, tight end, Charlie Kolar, and they get LaMichael Petway in as a transfer from Arkansas who didn't have eye popping numbers, but he averaged six, 16.6 yards per catch last year. And I think is a, an underrated get for the Cyclones. So I think the receivers yeah. could be in better position than what, uh, folks might think. Maybe more important than anything outside of the return of Brock Purdy is they return all five offensive linemen and they get Tom Manning to return as uh, offensive coordinator this year. So I think even though they lose Montgomery and Butler, I think that this could be an even improved Iowa State offense offense, considering the fact that they get Purdy back. uh, They return that offensive line and they get Manning to come in as that offensive coordinator. Defensively, though, is where the Cyclones lived and died last year, and I think that's going to be their strength of their team again this year. So they finished number one in the Big 12 in scoring and rushing D last year, and they also finished with the number two passing D and the number two total D in the Big 12 uh, last year in 2018. They returned all of their starting defensive linemen, two starting linebackers, and two defensive backs, including all Big 12 safety Greg Eisworth and second team uh, all Big 12 selections in Ray Lima and Jaquan Bailey on the defensive line. Bailey led the team with eight sacks and 14 and a half tackles for loss, and Ray Lima might be the best defensive lineman in the conference this year. Um, they also get Matt Leo and Jabal Johnson as they return and provide some quality depth on that line. They lose Willie Harvey and Brian Peavy, which won't be easy to replace, but there's plenty on this defense to think that they'll be just as good uh, this year as they were last year. I really like Mike Rose, who started... Um, as a freshman last year, he had nine tackles for loss, uh, third on the team in tackles, and I think he's due for a big season this year. I think that Iowa State is continuing to put everything 
um, together this year. I like them, as I mentioned, against Texas, and I think that they face the Sooners in the Big 12 championship game at a 10 and, um, or I'm sorry, a 9 and 2 record, 7 and 2 in the conference. And I think that uh, they give the Sooners a heck of a game in the Big 12 championship, but fall just short and uh, allow Oklahoma to go 12 and 1 when all said and done. Yeah, uh, Iowa State was really a team that I had to look at twice, three times, maybe four times down their schedule and say, do I think that they are better than Texas? Do I think that they're there yet? I really want to say yes, and and they are so neck and neck. And if if those two teams flop, I would not be surprised. I actually have Iowa State going ten and two as well, seven and two in the conference. I have them starting off uh, seven and zero, oh, or I'm sorry, eight and zero, oh, and then dropping after a bye, dropping that November 9th game against Oklahoma, which is going to be a huge classic showdown Saturday game against the Sooners out in Norman. But I think that that's a game where OU could blow the wheels off the Cyclones. And then I have them losing the next week against Texas just because I think that there's something to be said about when you are that deep into an undefeated record, 8-0, and then you lose to a team like Oklahoma who could blow you out, that could damage your psyche. And so to come back the next week, I think that that's one of those classic cases of a, uh, a hangover loss that they don't recover from and maybe play Texas close at home but maybe some of those rough and rowdy Cyclone fans who were there the whole way kind of look at that Oklahoma, that potential Oklahoma loss and say, oh, same old Cyclones, and then maybe they don't show up the next week in Ames against Texas, and, and that could um, right. you know, <clears throat> spell pro- problems for them. But I agree with you. Matt Campbell, I love the guy. I, I think that he is one of the best coaches in America, and, and, and I'm not ashamed to say that. I know a lot of people, especially – over in Iowa City, think that he's getting way too much hype, and Brock Purdy's getting way too much hype, and this whole Cyclone team is getting way too much hype. But look at the statistics. Look at what they've done when Matt Campbell's been there. Like you talked about, they were the best defense in the Big 12 last year, and they had a pretty damn good offense as well. And for people who say that um, Hakeem Butler is a huge loss and David Montgomery is a huge loss. I got news for you. Their run game was 112th in the country last year in terms of rushing yards per game. So David Montgomery right. was good, but he wasn't exactly a Heisman finalist. He wasn't exactly the running back that was um, leading this charge. I mean, let's keep in mind Alex Barnes for a non bowl Kansas State team was an all Big 12 running back last year. So um, <clears throat> you hit on most of the things offensively. Brock Purdy. My big question is, is he going to elevate his game this year or is he going to have that sophomore slump? You know, yeah. Um, I, I really like the guy. I love his moxie. I love the fact that he came in last year as a true freshman and said, I don't care who I'm playing. Let's game. Let's ball. And, and he's just a fun quarterback to watch. I think that the running backs that they have coming in, Jareel Brock and Brees Hall, those are going to be one and two on the depth chart, even though Kenny Nwangwu who's their fastest guy on the team. He's probably going to get the first cracks at it. But I think that Jareel Brock is going to be one of those freshmen that we see as uh, making a freshman All-American team list. He was a guy, he's 5'11", 205, low center of gravity, kind of reminds me of a Troy Davis, but maybe not as fast. Just a guy who's squatty and is going to get the yardage that you need and just looks like a Matt Campbell type guy. Speaking of that, you know, you talk about Tom Manning taking over as offensive coordinator. I think it's a good thing because last year Matt Campbell was their OC or at least a co-OC. I don't I don't know exactly if he held 
complete control of that. But anytime you get a head coach that can just be a coach and doesn't have to be a position coach or much less a play caller, I think that makes your team a whole lot better. And Unless your name's Lincoln team, Riley. Well, true. Yeah, he's <laughs> he's the uh, golden anomaly. But, but you I, know, I completely agree of, with you, though. <laughs> um, and, and Tom Manning is not just some guy that they found on the street and said, "Hey, we need an OC. Do you want to come and do it for us?" Right. He's he's got a you know he's been proven even at Iowa State. So I think getting Lamichael Petway from Arkansas gives them uh, an experienced receiver to team up with Tariq Milton, like you mentioned, and also Deshante Jones. He was a guy who was overlooked by so many people last year and and was a a big time playmaker down the field for them he made some some sports center highlight reel type catches for them having all five offensive linemen back is huge especially when you have two new running backs who are good but they're they're going to be made to be even better when they're running behind that experience up front i think that they've got one of the deepest tight end groups in the country so last year it was the iowa hawkeyes this year i think the iowa state cyclones probably boast uh, the deepest tight end room in the country or at least in the Midwest. <clears throat> Defensively, they look good. And how dare you, Bip, not mention my favorite safety in the country, Greg Eisworth. This guy, you talked last week about how you would tune in to see, um, and of course I'm dropping his name now, the defensive player. You, <laughs> oh, Micah Parsons. Yeah. Um, you said that, and I agree fully, that you would watch, you would stop to watch this defensive player. I would stop and I would go back. I actually want to go now. I've, I've excited myself to look at Greg Eisworth highlights from last year. The guy runs like a safety, hits like a linebacker. He's just everywhere. The guy has no regard for his own body. He just plays like that old school type uh, defensive player. And, and I just love seeing him all over the field. Um, he leads that secondary the, the linebackers are going to be great. Marcel Spears, Mike Rose, and they love Will McDonald at strong side linebacker. They think that he might be one of the best ones on that group. And to say that he's better maybe than Spears and Rose is really speaking volumes. Uh, you talked about their defensive front. Jim Heacock, I'm quoting Phil Steele here as I'm looking at his magazine, may be the best in the Big 12, and I agree. I mean, he was a big reason why the Cyclones had such a successful season last year. Um I think this defense is better than most people realize. They were 14th in the country against the run, 16th in red zone defense, 25th in defensive yards per play. So they just, simply put, they don't make mistakes. I mean, if you take away that West Virginia game last year when uh, the the Mountaineers were ranked 6th and um, you know they, they came out and they punched them in the mouth, uh, that's, that's, you know, that, that spoke volumes for them. Um, you know, they dropped their <clears throat> first three games out of the gate, which which kind of made things tough for them, but um, they really had a strong second half of the season last year, and I think that Matt Campbell and his his coaching staff are dead set on starting strong, and it's all going to come and, and revolve around that week three matchup in Ames against Iowa. I think the Cyclones get it done there. Where I see them dropping, Bip, is um, after their bye, so like I said, going undefeated 8-0 and then they drop back to back against Oklahoma and Texas which puts them at 7-2 and in conference which unfortunately for Cyclone fans is good for third in the conference especially losing that head-to-head -to, -head to Texas so I would love to agree with you and put Iowa State at number two ahead of Texas just because I actually feel more confident about Iowa State than I do Texas but because it's later in the season I think that Texas has more resources to get it done, and I think just playing Oklahoma and Texas back-to-back -back is going to be killer for the Cyclones. If it was any other way, I would take 
ISU in a heartbeat, but I have them uh, third in the Big 12. Bit. And Chappie, we're going to have to get, check the tapes. Uh, I, I'm almost certain that I did mention Greg Eisworth, so I don't know if it's the, the okay. old age catching up with you. Uh, it could be. Here, it could but be. Yeah, you, could, you could have me on that one. But yeah, I agree. If I didn't mention him, then Eisworth is one of the more exciting players in the Big 12, for sure going to be a big part of that Cyclone defense. So, um, so that takes us through the top three. Chappie, why don't you get into your, your number four team in the Big 12 and, and let us know who you got. All right, so number four is a team that some people are calling to be the sleeper champion in this league, and that's the TCU Horn Frogs. And TCU is a team that, I mean, first of all, when you've got Gary Patterson at the helm, they're always going to have a chance. Last year, their chance was cut from under them almost literally because they were ravaged by injuries. Um, they, they were not very good at protecting the ball, and they, they, ran, into, they ran into their own way you know, watching a lot of their games last year. So, so many injuries, not just last year, but also in the spring. In fact, they canceled their spring game. And I think I counted, they had 25 injured players just this spring. So that's not even taking into account the guys that graduated from last year. And Gary Patterson said that we just have to get healthy. We have to cool off. We have to let these guys get their legs back under them because, you know, this is a season where we need to really do some things. So if they're healthy, I think that TCU certainly could pose some big problems in the Big 12. But again, that's a big if. Um, and it all starts at quarterback. They need to figure out who's going to take the snaps there. They've got five quarterbacks who legitimately could trot out on the field and start for them. They returned 73% of their offensive production from last year. But if you don't know who is going to be uh, leading the charge, and I really think that they need to determine that now and have them go and take the majority of snaps with the number ones and maybe Gary Patterson and offensive coordinator, somebody, Sonny Cumbie know who it's going to be. Phil Steele says it's Alex Delton, but I don't know that I see the whole season with Alex Delton with the talents of no. Justin Rogers, uh, Matthew Baldwin, if he's going to be eligible. Some people say he may not get a, a clearance from the NCAA, but he's a quarterback. So he probably will. Yep. Um, and then also Max Dugan. Don't sleep on Max Dugan from, uh, you know, a kid from Iowa it was the Gatorade player of the year in that state in high school. He's kind of the guy that I'm looking to if Justin Rogers does not recover from his nerve damage in his leg. Uh, Rogers is, is clearly the better athlete, but Dugan reminds me a lot of Andy Dalton. I think that he's a guy who could be a four-year starter, and maybe the Horn Frogs don't get it done this year, but um, TCU is certainly a team to look out for in 2020. But going back to this year, 2019, they were just bad on offense last year, and if you don't believe us, watch the Cheez-It Bowl and uh, bring a barf <laughs> bag with you because uh, it was just nauseating. Uh, but their offensive line was really good. They were 14th in the country in sacks given up last year, 45th in tackles for loss given up, and they return all five of them. So that's going to be good for whoever takes a snap at quarterback. I think a big asterisk is whether Siwa Alanalua is going to be eligible for the majority of their games this year. I know he got into some offseason or off the field trouble this offseason. So I don't know the extent of it. They really haven't talked about it. So if he just misses maybe the non-conference games, but is back in time for the bulk of Big 12 play, I think he and Darius Anderson make up a, a pretty good one-two punch in the backfield. Um, they have two of the biggest playmakers at wide receiver in Jalen Rager and Tay Barber, number one and number four. Watch those guys. They're worth the price of admission. Defensively, again, it's Gary Patterson. You know they're going to be good on defense. They were pretty good. Top 40 in almost every relevant defensive category last year, but they only bring back 47% of the production from last year's squad. 
Good news for them is they do get back Ross Blacklock <clears throat> from injury, who missed all of last season. He was out in the in the fall. They also bring in Shamik Blackshear, a transfer from South Carolina, 6'5", 267, highly touted recruit coming out of high school. Had a pretty good career at South Carolina, but I just have to figure that Gary Patterson always churns out defensive linemen, and those two playing on the same side, also with Corey Bethley and O'Shawn Mathis, this could be one of the best defensive lines in the country, but certainly top 10. I like their linebackers, especially Garrett Wallow. And then in the secondary, we talked about it on a previous podcast, Julius Lewis and Jeff Gladney, their, their corners, all Big 12-type corners, even though they didn't get that recognition last year. I think that they're great in the back end. I love that 4-2-5 defense. Uh, so what do I see them in terms of record? Well, um, I have them going nine and three, six and three in conference. So they, they come out of their non-conference unscathed. I think that they win at Purdue. I think Purdue is a, is an overrated team this year. They get the iron skillet against SMU and then they beat Kansas, uh, to start off four and I think they lose at Iowa state. They lose against Texas on October 26th in a close game out in Fort Worth. And then they lose at Oklahoma late in the season on November 23rd. So those are the three losses I see them having, Bip. And again, I wouldn't be shocked or surprised at all if TCU made it to the Big 12 championship game. Hell, even if they won the Big 12 championship. But I think if TCU wins the Big 12, that means the Big 12 is down this year and they don't get a representative in um, the Final Four this year, Bip. So they're my number uh, three team. I'm sorry, number four team, nine and three, six and three in the Big 12. I like the uh, I like the spot of TCU at fourth as I also have them there. I'm not as all in on the Horned Frogs as you are this year as my number five team, which we'll get into in just a moment. Um, I have neck and neck with them, but I do have TCU going eight and four overall, five and four in the conference. I have them losing at Iowa State at um, Oklahoma and home against Texas like you, but I also have them losing to the Baylor Bears on November 9th, um, a game that comes right after um, playing Texas and Oklahoma State back to back. So, um, like you mentioned, the the biggest question on offense is going to be who ends up winning that quarterback battle. When you have five guys, um, it, it could lead to better all-around play as it could be uh, a nice competition that pushes everyone. But more than likely, it's just going to lead to fewer reps to go around for every starter. And then once they get into the regular season, maybe having every quarterback that's in the game looking over their shoulder and maybe forcing things a little too much because they don't know when their next series or their next snap is going to come. So um, I think I think you're right. I think that they need that they need to name a starter sooner than later, um, and most certainly they need to name one well before their first game um, yeah. in the fall. So even though it is Arkansas Pine Bluff, um, you still it's going to go a long way to gel with your offense if you've got a guy that's taking the majority of those reps because right two quarterbacks is too many, let alone five bit. Yeah, and that uh, if they stumble offensively against Arkansas Pine Bluff, they have a bye the next week, but that's going to be a long two weeks before going to a tricky game at Purdue to where um, do the, does the quarterback situation start to boil over uh, as they go prepare for the Boilermaker. So whoever wins that competition, though, uh, like you mentioned, is going to have one of the best wide receivers in the country to throw to in Jalen Rager. Um, I also like Tate Barber. Unfortunately for the Horn Frogs, they do lose three of their top five receivers. If you include uh, Turpin getting kicked off the team last year at running yeah. back, I'm with you that uh, uh, Alana Lua. I'm interested to see what his status is going to be this year. If he's back, they have a really nice thunder and lightning combo in Darius Anderson and Alana Lua. 
uh, as they combined for just under 1,300 yards last year. The offensive line returned six who started at times in 2018, including their best lineman, Lucas Nyang, at right tackle. Um, I see this offense improving from last year due to the offensive line, the running backs, and Jalen Rager, if they can get steady quarterback play. And I just think that Sonny Cumbie's too good of an offensive coordinator for them to repeat last year's awful right. performance as it shouldn't take much for them to start climbing the rankings in the Big 12 compared to what they did last year. So defensively, we know that Gary Patterson coaches up defenses more so than most every other coach in the country, but it's going to be tough sledding for the Horn Frogs as they return only one of their top eight tacklers from last year. Um, this includes their top disruptors, LJ Collier and Ben Bonogu, as well as their top linebackers, Ty Summers and Erico Evans. So um, after losing so much production, um, they're really going to need to rely upon both the uh, the defensive line, which you mentioned. They returned Corey Bethley from last year. Getting Ross Blacklock is going to be huge for the Horn Frogs, and bringing in Shamik Blackshear will really help out as well. Uh, but also the secondary, even though they lose longtime starter Nick. Uh, longtime starter Nico Small and Ridwan Isha, Ishahaku. Uh, they return one of the best corners in the country and Jeff, <laughs> Jeff Gladney, as well as Innes Gaines. So I think that uh, the the defense is definitely going to step up, but it's it's going to need to take a major step forward due to the fact that they lose so much production from last year. Um, so the defense might take a step back due to everything they lost, but I think that combined with what the offense should expect as far as a, uh, increase from last year's production and the fact that Gary Patterson's never really had two back-to-back subpar seasons. I see a minor bounce back for the Horned Frogs this year, but I don't see them competing with the conference's elite this year. And I wouldn't be surprised if they finish fifth, uh, behind my number five team, Chappie. And I think I'll go right into that then right now. Please do. (laughs) I'm going to talk a little bit about the Oklahoma State Cowboys. Now, I have Oklahoma State also finishing 8-4 and overall, 5-4 and in the conference, with one of their losses being to the TCU Horned Frogs. But um, the other losses that I have are at Texas, at Texas Tech, a little bit of a stunner for the Cowboys, um, and at Oklahoma or at Iowa State uh, before they... Uh, play TCU at home, but that TCU game is after back-to-back games home against Baylor and at Iowa State, so I think that the Cowboys could be a little bit beat up potentially uh, going into their bye week um, when they play TCU, but uh, I do have, as I mentioned earlier, the Cowboys pulling a stunner home against Oklahoma in the last game of the season, and let me tell you why. Their biggest loss on offense this year might be Mike Mike Yersich moving on to Ohio State. Um, one of the better offensive coordinators in the country, and I think that he's going to be missed. Uh, That said, they're also going to be breaking in a new quarterback after Taylor Cornelius graduated. Now, Cornelius um, always surprised me with how good of a uh, passer and rusher he was as he combined for almost 4,400 yards last year to go with 42 uh, 42 total touchdowns. Um, that said, the, the Cowboys are no strangers to breaking in new quarterbacks and Mike Leach is just, or I'm sorry, uh, Mike Gundy is no stranger to getting the most out of his quarterbacks. And I think that right. redshirt freshman Spencer Sanders could be one of the more talented quarterbacks they've had in quite some time. He was the jewel of their recruiting class last year and is said to be one of the fastest players on the team. Um, now he's still going to be competing with uh, Hawaii transfer Drew Brown, but all writing on the wall say that it's Spencer Sanders' job to lose. So as long right. as he can 
uh, show that he can be a productive passer in this system. I think the job is his. And new offensive coordinator Sean Gleason is bringing in more run uh, quarterback run options, which should play to the strength of Sanders, who's got a really strong arm to add to his athleticism. And uh, as I mentioned, kind of has a leg up on Brown already. But um, Gundy is always one to be uh, to go with a guy that gives him the best chance to win, regardless of how highly touted they are. So I'm interested to see if Spencer Sanders comes out on top at running back. They do lose Justice Hill, but I don't think that that's going to slow down the Cowboys at all. As Chuba Hubbard no. stepped in amazingly last year as mm-hmm. he ran for over 740 yards, seven touchdowns, and averaged six yards per carry. Hubbard went over the 100-yard mark in each of the three games in which he was given 15 or more uh, carries, including their bowl win over Missouri in which he averaged 8.1 yards per carry. Um, and he also added 22 catches and 200 yards receiving throughout the year as well. So I think he could be a great safety valve for whoever does win the quarterback position. Um, at wide receiver, Tylon Wallace, one of our uh, favorites, Smoochie. Smoochie. <laughs> and uh, Dylan Stoner, who combined uh, between the two of them for over or for almost 2,100 yards and 14 touchdowns last year, and might be the best wide receiver duo in the Big 12 this year. Stoner might even be pushed for, for production this year by another highly touted receiver in C.J. Moore, who was uh, one and two with Spencer Sanders last year in regards to the top of the Oklahoma State recruiting class. He's 6'5", made the jump from 175 pounds in high school to over 200 pounds now, and is said to not have missed a, a beat in regards to his speed. He could be the next in a long line of elite Cowboys receivers, so I'm really excited to see how he does this year. They also return three on the offensive line, including the two best from last year. So I think that offense, despite losing Yersich and despite losing um, Taylor Cornelius, could be just as good, if not even a step better than last year. Defensively, though, I have a, a couple questions, mainly up front on that defense as they lose all of last year's starting defensive linemen. Now, they bring in two transfers in Israel Antwine, a uh, true sophomore who will be this year. Our true freshman last year will be true sophomore this year. Start 11 games for Colorado last year. And then Kyle Jr., who was a starter for uh, Bowling Green. Um, so they help to stop the bleeding, but that off, that defensive line is still going to be very inexperienced and very young. Uh, they moved to a 4-2-5 this year. So the Cowboys returned one of their two linebackers, but the one they lost in Justin Phillips led the team in tackles and was second in tackles for loss. They also lose Kenneth Edison Magruder, who was their safety hybrid uh, linebacker and is the um, the only loss within the secondary, but he represented the fourth most tackles for loss on the defense, meaning Oklahoma State lost its top four leaders in tackles for loss, 64% of its sack total. So disrupting opponents in the backfield is going to be a major question mark for this year. Um, like I mentioned, Oklahoma State returns all but one starter in the secondary. A.J. Green and Rodarius Williams have lots of starting experience at corner between the two of them and combined for 19 pass breakups and three picks last year. Um, last year, the secondary started three true freshmen throughout the year, so that secondary is expected to be improved with that added experience as they will be a little bit young but uh, have plenty of uh, uh, – they've been battle-tested for sure. Um The Cowboys finished in the bottom quarter of the country in most defensive statistics last year, despite finishing 10th in the country in sacks and 20th in tackles for loss. So uh, the Cowboys, if the Cowboys are able to see any defensive improvement, um, they're going to need to rely on the secondary to take a step forward because I have big questions in regards to how do they replace all of that, uh, 
uh, sack and tackle for loss production that they've lost from a year ago. So I really like the potential of this offense if they can get good quarterback play once again. And under Mike Gundy, I'm betting that that will happen. Uh, Mm -hmm. Last year, the Cowboys had bad losses against Texas Tech and at Kansas State, but their other four losses were against Iowa State, at Baylor, at Oklahoma, and at TCU at the end of the year when TCU was playing their best football. All of those four losses that I just mentioned were by one score or fewer, so I like the Cowboys to bounce back this year despite the losses uh, in the front of their defense, and I think that they're going to be neck and neck with TCU to see who finishes fourth in the conference, Chappie. Yep, I have here in my notes, Bip, that Oklahoma State is my ninja team of the Big 12, meaning they could jump out and be in the top, anywhere in the top, uh, you know, two through four. They could even make the the conference championship game if, if, you know, dominoes fall their way. And I think it's safe to say that both Oklahoma schools, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, you don't have to worry about quarterback play because they've got two of the best offensive play callers and quarterback whisperers in college football so you know whether it's sanders whether it's brown whether they go a two quarterback system i truly like you think that sanders is that's the one that everybody's riding on and even though gundy is trying to keep it close to the vest and say oh it's a quarterback competition and drew brown's going to get snaps and uh you know brennan costello's going to get some snaps and whatnot um it's going to be sanders job to lose they have a very very deep crew of wide receivers you talked about some of the big ones um They've got three guys that jump out to me that are six five or taller. So, you know, Smoochie Wallace aside, and by the way, that's going to be our Twitter campaign bit from now until <laughs> August 30th is to get uh, Tyrell, or I'm sorry, Tylon Wallace, I'll get his name right, to <laughs> change his Twitter name to Smoochie Wallace. Yep. So if we can get that uh, accomplished, <laughs> then we can retire as, as podcast. We'll have done our jobs. Yes. Exactly. Right. Uh, but I mean, so Wallace and Stoner aside, you got C.J. Moore, who's 6'5", 175. You got Jelani Woods, who plays their cowboy position, which is really a hybrid wide receiver tight end. He's 6'7", 265. Good luck covering him as a safety. Yeah. And then they got Jordan McRae, who's 6'5", 190, transfers in from South Alabama, um, averaged 11.2 yards per catch, uh, had 10 starts last year, 650 total receiving yards. So the the receivers that they're going to have running the routes, catching from Sanders or Brown, whoever's throwing the football, it's going to be plentiful. I, I agree with you and Shuba Hubbard. I think that that's actually maybe a step in the right direction. No disrespect to Justice Hill, but I think that Hubbard, when all is said and done, could be a better all-around back than Hill was in his time in Stillwater. Um, four guys coming back on the offensive line always looks good. Defensively, I agree with you. That's that's where the the questions arise. I really really like their secondary and really their back. Um, their back whatever it is, uh, seven. Yeah. Um, because you know, Calvin bondage is, is a good linebacker coming back. Uh, really the only returning linebacker, but their secondary of green and Williams at corners. They make up one of the best cornerback tandems in the big 12, aside from TCUs who we already talked about. Jarek Bernard was one of those true freshmen who got playing time last year. He comes back as a sophomore. Malcolm Rodriguez is one of the more underrated safeties in the conference. He finished second on the team with 83 tackles last year, five tackles for loss. Um, I agree that replacing all that havoc ability uh, in terms of their tackles for loss numbers and their sack numbers is going to be difficult to replace, but they were ninth in red zone defense last year. And a big part of your red zone defense is how well your secondary plays. So bringing back those 
four guys in the secondary, plus if you include Colby Peel, who's going to start at nickelback for them this year, that's some that's a pretty good place to start for for the pokes. So um I realistically I see them going seven and five, and I have them finishing fifth in the Big 12. And it's all going to start in Corvallis on August 30th, Bip. I think they lose to Oregon State uh. out in Rooster Stadium. I think you know it's a 9:30 kickoff uh, Eastern time, so you know it's 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 out in the Pacific. It's uh, what one or two hours uh, uh, later than what Oklahoma State's used to. I just think that that's going to be a raucous crowd. Uh, the buzz saws are going to be going, and everybody's crapping on Oregon State. I don't think that they should. I really don't. And I think that Oklahoma State's going to be the first team to realize that. I think that they're going to uh, figure out a way to kind of shut down Tylon Wallace or at least bracket him and force this new quarterback to make plays. And I, I don't know. I just have this feeling that Oregon State's going to make that statement in their first game. Um, and that's going to help Oklahoma State. They'll bounce back from that. But I see other losses at Texas uh, back-to-back losses at Iowa State against TCU at home, and then losing the Bedlam game at home against Oklahoma at the end of the year. And really, that's a swing game for me. I, I could see that Bedlam game going either way. So realistically, I, I, I'm putting down on paper seven and five, five and four in the Big Twelve. Um, but if that quarterback emerges, if Spencer Sanders can become even a second All Big Ten quarter, or I'm sorry, Big All Big Twelve quarterback then I think that, that really elevates their play. And I think if they can get solid play out of those new guys on the defensive front, I mean, Kyle Jr. had 13 tackles for loss last year, even though it was at Bowling Green. Bowling Green was a, a stinker of a team a season ago, and he still racked up 13 uh, tackles behind the line of scrimmage. If um, Antoine can use his big frame, 6'4", 295, and elevate what he did at Colorado and transfer it onto the defensive side for Oklahoma State, Combine that with the play of Bundage and that stellar secondary that I talked about. I think that Oklahoma State could certainly be better than a seven and five team. But again, I'm going to believe it when I see it, and yep. I just don't think that this is exactly the year for the Pokes. But look out in 2020. Okay. 